Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not to tell you something, people. You know you know how I made that cookbook, Stop the Salt, after I had my heart problem? I wrote a cookbook. I'm a very good cook. At the home, you know, we, me and Joanne, you know, we switch up. I cook the fish. We both do chicken. She does all the pasta because she's Italian. She does great salads. And I'm, I'm actually a very good cook, but I learned something the other night. She, we we're going to have a big salad. She called down and she said, hey, Stephen, can you, can you hard boil an egg? And I've learned I can cook crab imperial, but I can't hard boil an egg. I'm sitting there. I didn't want to ask her how to hard boil it. So I look it up on uh, Google how to hard boil an egg. Because I've never done this. I can cook a great omelet. And I finally, I cook it. And I guess I didn't do the water right. And she comes down. It was like half cooked. And she's like, you can't hard boil an egg. And I felt like the biggest loser because I'm, I'm 51 years old. I've written a cookbook. I, I always post stuff on Instagram about how to eat healthy and cheap. And I can't cook an egg, a hard-boiled egg. Anyway, enough about that. We have a great show today. We have a we have a very talented gentleman, and he's actually a, a tall gentleman, which is good because a lot of times I see actors, and you see him on TV. I ran into a guy the other night at, at Craig Shoemaker's comedy show who was in the audience. I'm not going to mention his name. He's a past guest. He always plays a tough guy. When he came on Cooper Talk, he walked into the studio. He was five eight, and I was five ten. But this guy, Todd Stasrick, yeah, how you doing, Todd? I can't complain. You're a six two. You, you I'm huge. You, have a, you you come across, you look like a big guy on screen, <laughs> and and luckily you are, I mean, I was like, because I looked up, and, and I always feel dwarfed, because you got, uh, but so, so how you doing today? I can't complain. So far, so good. So you, you said you've been away. I heard you talking in the lobby. I go, uh, yeah, I work, uh, I have two jobs. Uh, basically, I just pay mortgage in Los Angeles. I'm, one of my jobs is in the Bay Area, and then uh, I'm currently in the middle of production for 12 Monkeys up in Toronto. And so, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I come back to Los Angeles to remind my children what I look like. Well, that's good, though. Yeah, yeah it's good. And <laughs> look, champagne problems. I'm very, very fortunate to be working, and uh, and and I'm lucky. It's just, you know, the the downside is is my jobs are outside of this uh, outside of the zip code. And it was just your birthday. It was just my birthday. And what did you do? Anything special? I did. I gathered. Uh, I gathered with some friends at uh, Clifton's Cafeteria downtown, which I, I had never been, and uh, we bent an elbow and had some food and and laughed. And then uh, my wife, uh, who is often uh, spending a great deal of time single handedly with the children, uh, and I got a uh, got a hotel downtown so that we could just be uh, grown up people and not. Uh, parents and just kind of she got a little vacation i got a little vacation so it was a lot of fun cool well i know uh, i know you're from the chicago area originally i am i grew up there and now at what age did you know that you wanted to follow this business Cause i know i know it's funny because you're you've gravitated to a lot of like tougher guy roles right? yeah i mean but your your comedy is is your backbone i mean when you were a kid what what did you see that made you want to get into this business um you know, there's, there's a, there's, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's cumulative, but, um, you know, I, I grew up doing, you know, well, the, 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 the quick short answer is, uh, at eight years old seeing Star Wars, uh, that kind of blew the top of my head off and, and, and showed me the power of film. And then it really informed a lot of my play, you know, in the backyard with my cousin, and I was Han Solo, and he was Luke Skywalker. And then a lot of that really got me into movies and seeing movies. And, and originally, I was going to be a graphic designer, cartoonist. Uh, it just was a little too quiet. And so I started doing plays in junior high school and high school. And uh, I think I think around 17 in, in high school was when I had realized that uh, the path for me was acting. Now... You gravitated towards Second City. Yeah. Now, at what point did you start finding out about Second City? Because I imagine being in Chicago, it was such a booming time. And I'm, I'm imagine, you know, it's one of those things. Because back then, you know, newspapers would have always have, like, I used to do comedy and would have The Weekend and have all the list of the comedy shows. And you'd be, oh, I can see this person. Or my friend's there. And I'm sure Second City was just probably blowing up all over the newspaper and probably around what you were watching, TV and stuff like that. You're probably hearing a lot about it. Yeah, for, yeah well, I think... It just sort of was happenstance that that I I happened to be in the same uh, the same Chicagoland area that Second City was in. What really pushed me towards Second City was Saturday Night Live, was Bill Murray, was uh, 
wanting to be a Ghostbuster and 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 watching SNL and wanting to do sketch comedy, and then it just it all was serendipitous that I happened to live 40 minutes away from from Second City. So basically, I you know I I you know fell hard for Bill Murray and then did my research and figured out oh he started here okay well then I'm gonna start there, and so I kind of I I dedicated myself when I got out of college to uh, getting into Second City because, as you know, there was a very well-tread path to Saturday Night Live from from Second City. So when you go out for Second City, is it a quick process? No. Okay, so what happens? Well, first of all, I got a job there uh, tearing tickets out at Second City Northwest, and then I was able to watch the shows night after night after night. And, and uh, you know, the people that were in the cast that I was watching out at Second City Northwest was like, Steve Carell and, and Colbert and, and, and uh, all those guys because this was the early 90s. And so I was absorbing the show. And then uh, and then I moved downtown to the city proper and started waiting tables there and watching all those shows. Um, and I was, uh, I was taking the classes at the same time, also simultaneously studying at Improv Olympic under Del Close. Uh, and then, you know, it took me a year and a half into studying there and doing shows at Second City and Improv Olympic before uh, my audition for the touring company proved fruitful. So you started touring? Yeah. And now, how, how, what was that like? Because I'm mean, sure it's like I've heard stories that it's like you play, sometimes you play at this great college and then sometimes you play at a bar mitzvah in someone's <sighs> basement. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a gypsy it's a gypsy life. Uh, we're all kind of crammed in a van, going from uh, state to state, uh, playing sometimes playing the huge amphitheater, sometimes playing in a cafeteria on, you know, tables that were strung together as a stage. So uh, sometimes we would have to go out onto the campus and 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 and, and <laughs> encourage people to let them know that we were there. And sometimes we would be playing to you know fifteen hundred people. So uh, it all pretty much boiled down to. Where are we drinking after the show? Right. Yeah. Well, now, how long did you do that for? Uh, I toured for two and a half years. Okay. Now, I know eventually you decided to move to New York. Yes. Well, I toured for two and a half years, and then I came back. Uh, I did. Uh, I, I uh, Colin Ferguson, who uh, was in the Detroit cast, wanted to go finish college, so I went to Detroit for a little bit, and I and I wrote a show there. Um, and then I came back, and I was in Second City Northwest with Dave Kackner, Nancy Walls, Tree Mulligan, Matt Dwyer. Uh, and then that's when I was up for SNL, and that was kind of the the flare in the sky that said, all right, it's time to leave Chicago. Whether I booked SNL or not, at least I knew I was uh, swimming in a bigger pond. Now, what was your audition like? I know some people have come on and they've said they just tanked the audition. You know, And then someone said they just, when they went on, they weren't right. I think they auditioned the same year Fallon auditioned and Fallon, you know, came with a guitar and, 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 it's, and I mean, so what was your audition? Did you have to have characters ready for it or what happened? Yeah, I think it was mid nineties, 95. Um, my audition, you know, it was interesting because I've I've actually had I've seen my audition now since I've seen the <laughs> how, DVD. How how that happened? Uh, a buddy of mine was up for the show and he got a hold of it just to see examples of auditions and he's like, hey, I just came across your your SNL audition, so I got to see it. Um, I have to say, uh, I think because I was smack dab in the middle of doing touring company and and second city northwest and everything uh you know it was a pretty i was pretty honed like that's what i was living and so i can say you know having done so many performances right at that time i was pretty proud of what i saw i was like oh you know looking back on it I'm like oh you know what it kind of wasn't bad uh i had to do three original characters and then i had to do uh, a bunch of impressions so now were you did you feel confident with your impressions yeah. i mean and yeah you- i mean that's kind of what that was one of my things. Who did you do? Uh, well, again, let's remember that it was 1995, <laughs> so uh, the the the, uh, the they were very current impressions at the time. <laughs> but what I did is I couched all of my impressions into one bit. So I was doing the MTV Movie Awards, and I was hosting like hosted by 
Christian Slater. So I did Christian Slater, who then introduced like Paul Reiser, who introduced Tommy Lee Jones and Keanu Reeves. And then I did Eddie Vedder and Michael Stipe. That's that's a good, I mean, they're still relevant. Riser, I always love uh, the yeah. Riser. Yeah. There was a comic in, in Philadelphia. Well, he's from New York and he lives out here named Gabe Abelson. Uh-huh. And he used to do a bit. He used to say uh, the way that Paul Reiser, Jerry Seinfeld, and Richard Lewis would say, but if. And it was so funny because it was so different. And he, but if? But if? What <laughs> if? And it was it was only something that people who are in entertainment would get. The crowd would look at yeah. it and go, we don't yeah, get it. Yeah, comedy for comedians. So so now now you didn't get Saturday Night Live. I did not get Saturday Night Live that year. Um, was it? Were you crushed or were you like? You well, you know, I mean, look, you 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 set something on your horizon for such a long time, uh, and I was, uh, you know. In actor years, at 27, I was 14. You know what I mean? Like the, we 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 tend to stay young really really long in, inside our heads. Uh, again, at you know at 47, I still feel like I'm I'm 17 years old. Uh, it, it was it bruised me. It but at the same time, it was enough to say, hey, it's time to get out of Chicago. Uh, I had agents. Um, uh, I had uh, agents courting me from New York. So there was enough wind pushing me east to say great and then the great adventure of of moving to new york city uh on its own uh was enough to kind of heal the wounds but it stung of course it stung it was you know it, at the time it was i guess since i was 17 dreaming that that's what i was gonna do so you're in manhattan yeah. and now you started your own theater company or your own i was i was in uh i formed uh with a bunch of a uh, some former chicago guys second city guys and some new york guys we formed a group um called burn manhattan uh a uh, experimental uh, organic improv group um long form and uh we would perform the lower east side in basements and stuff um and that was directed by shira piven uh jeremy piven's sister and occasionally we would have kate uh kate walsh was in that group for a little bit uh a woman named spencer caden was in that group for a little bit and it was uh the group uh the core group was was myself uh kevin scott jay Roderick, matt higgins john teese and then mark levinson who was a musical director from second city he did our music now what's crazy is you know you're doing that in the, the lower west side uh, yeah lower east side lower yeah east side, but what's crazy is you know just the way things have changed promotion wise because i was thinking about it like now if you had a group it would be all over facebook but you guys <laughs> i mean you think about like twitter and facebook no, we, and instagram but you guys actually had to get out and pound would, the yeah, pavements i yeah. mean so that must have been crazy because yeah. it's the, the thing that always you say is you know it's great when you're on stage or doing your thing but the stuff that leads up to it can sort of suck because you have to get in that mood to go, okay, uh, you know, I, and you want people to come, but you have to go out because you probably gave out flyers. I was, I was so used to it because I had a theater company in Chicago too, and we would do our own promotion. So I would make the poster and, and, and with Burr Manhattan, we would go out to the streets and start doing our shtick in the middle of uh, Lower East Side during like, if say there's like a farmer's market or something, we would go out in our black suits and kind of do stuff there. And and one of our guys, uh, a friend of ours made these uh, fake parking tickets that looked like parking tickets with our logo on it and everything and would put them, so people would force to read it and then they would feel relieved (laughs) that it was just a a gag. Um, But yeah, we would, and then uh, we would do festivals so the improv in fact our first gig was a um was a uh like an improv festival where everybody was doing short form games and and we had nothing to lose because we were all just battle scarred from years of second city and stuff so this was our chance to do something else and we didn't have anything at stake um and so it was uh it was a great opportunity for us to get up and sort of say to the improv community, here's us, here's what we're doing with the art form. And, and, uh, and it's certainly, uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased to say it had a great effect. People were really excited by the kind of work we were doing. Cause it was, it was different than what other people were doing at the time, uh, in, in New York. Now, when you were in New York, were you trying to get any uh, TV and film work or yeah. were you just really concentrating on the improv? No, I mean, my whole goal to, A, I wanted to add New York to my life resume. And then B, I wanted to, uh, and I had agents courting me that were bi-coastal. So I was, I was trying to be, you know, I've always been, like the, the big leap of faith was always choosing to be an actor. So everything after that, I think, 
every small decision amongst uh, along the road needed to be shrewd and it needed to be smart because it is a big field to get into. And so I made sure that I had an agency in New York. I had an agency in New York that had uh, an office in LA and the agency that I went with would send New York agents out to Los Angeles during pilot season to to field their New York clients. And so uh, I would move to New York and, and I was pursuing television and film and commercials. And then I would fly out to LA for a few months during pilot season with my New York agent there, uh, you know, throwing me out to the wolves. Now, were you getting bites for pilots? Mm-hmm. And- I was. I was testing for pilots. It was, it was going well to the point where I was spending so much time going back and forth uh, and now at this point, I would say around 98, I had, you know, I had a, uh, I had a, a little boy and uh, I was married and, and it was like, you know what, I'm spending more time on planes going back and forth to LA. It's time for us to move to Los Angeles. So what's that like move? I always crack up because, you know, I grew up back East and, you know, I moved out West and I was in San Diego first and, and, you know, you were, you were visiting it, but you know, you're going from Chicago, which mm-hmm. is a very, very cool city mm-hmm. to New York, which is the coolest city. It's the capital of the world. Yeah. And then. You're used to the city, and then you, you know we always read about LA how it's a city. And then you come out to LA and you go, wait a second, this is this is like for me. I think well, this is like suburbs, like in Philadelphia, like there's a center city, but there's a center here. Like I mean, when you moved out downtown, you didn't go downtown. I mean, so what was it like for you to acclimate, and what was it like finally getting used to this this weather? Because I know you visited it, but it's a big change. Well, I you know I grew up in Chicago where you're constantly moving your weather with shovels. So, uh, I didn't miss that. I didn't miss the snow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty myopic, so I'm pretty good at going, this is what's in front of me now. And, and I'm, I don't have a cynical bone in my body. So I was just delighted. I was delighted by Chicago. I was delighted by New York. There's always something amazing to find. And, and Hollywood was you know, it was the center of everything that I dreamed about as a little boy, you know? So I, I, I constantly would like just rounding a corner and seeing the Hollywood sign would kind of make my soul pop a little bit. Right. And so that kind of stuff was endlessly exciting. And I still, I still driving down Hollywood Boulevard and seeing the Chinese theater still works for me. Now, now you, you surf, I heard. I, well, I'm not, I, I would not call, I, look, no, I, I can stand up on a surfboard and I can ride a wave, <laughs> but uh, I would not uh, be entering any competitions or, uh, and many people would argue with you and say, no, he can't surf. But, I can paddle out and I can jump up on my board and I can ride a wave and that's just for me. When did you, when did you start doing that? I didn't start surfing until I was 35 years old. See so, that? That's good. Cause yeah. there, there's a few actors. Like Brett Cullen and Gregory Harrison, who are, are like surfers, surfers. Yeah, that's no. cool. I'm not the I'm not the kind of guy who rain or shine gets up at six o'clock in the morning to go out and catch catch a catch a wave. But uh, I can certainly uh, say that uh, I can surf. Uh, I am not I'm not shredding. I'm not riding the tube. But uh, I I enjoy it, and it's for me, and uh, and I love it. Now you get out here and yep. now you start auditioning. Yeah. Now, and now when do you start booking parts? And are you just doing commercial? Are you just doing Well, TV? I you know, before I had moved to Los Angeles, I was still living in New York. I had booked uh, a uh, a sitcom playing Jeremy Piven of all things, his best friend on a on a on a sitcom. And so uh that it didn't go to series, but I had came out here and I shot the pilot. So I, I kinda hit the ground running and then and then I came out here to find an apartment with, uh, I'm like, okay, I'll fly out for two weeks. I'll find an apartment and then I'll fly back to New York and move my family. Um, but I started, uh, you know, my agent sent me out for, for stuff and I started, I booked, I think an episode of Angel, um, the, the, the Buffy spinoff. And I'm like, I called my wife and said, Hey, you know what? I'm already here booking work. So so your table is it's very crazy. musical. It's, it's very and, and the, musical. The old studio was the same way. I don't know what it is. It's like it's a great sound too. Ben Burt would be in heaven. There you go. My uh, Star Wars nerds will get that reference. Um, yeah, you can. Gra- yeah, he has some nice sound effects there. I know. Um, <laughs> uh, so so I I was very very. Uh, I mean, look, I didn't move out to L.A. till I was thirty two years old. So I had had done all the. Uh, 
you know, the law and orders in New York and I was booking commercials like a madman. And then, you know, the birth of my son took a lot of the heat off of the, the worry of work. I mean, on one hand, just like, well, I'm now feeding three people with my work. So the pressure is higher, but on the other hand, I got a giggling baby at home. And so it, 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 it I didn't worry what casting directors thought because suddenly the bottom dropped out of my emotional well in my life. And so I could walk into rooms with an, I don't give a crap, uh, feeling not in a bad way, but like, uh, I just, I just didn't have that pressure or that feeling. Cause I'm like, well, suddenly my priorities changed. And I suddenly was like, as opposed to being just an actor, who's all I had to worry about was getting that part. I suddenly was like, Oh no, I'm a dad. And there was some really profound things occurring inside my head so that an audition was just like something I was doing during that day. And so I think that that helped me take risks and be bold in my auditions. And it helped me start booking work. Now you're booking a lot of comedy to start. Yeah. Okay. You know, Cause that's your background, mm-hmm. but in somewhere in the middle, you've sort of, you've, you've crossed over to the, as we said earlier, the, uh, the, genre the genre of the sci-fi yeah. or things like that yeah and now you said you're a big star wars fan oh no r- ridiculous star did, wars did fan. you did you go crazy okay i'm gonna be honest yeah. i i was in hollywood yesterday and i was coming back in the eagles run uh-huh. and i was all happy because i'm an eagles fan yeah sure and uh and it's funny because i'm putting i couldn't find it on the radio so i have my serious my on my phone <laughs> and i'm yeah. hearing the game and it's it's you know it's behind because yeah. i don't know why they do it behind but i get home and uh it's halftime and I put on, I, I didn't, I was talking to Joanne, she was doing something and I was checking my Facebook and the feed is just blowing up and blowing up. Now, was this a known, did people yeah. know that this was happening? And, yeah. And is it because, I mean, but no one on Facebook was like, you know, usually on Facebook they'll say, like, I've already seen people putting, you know, they've already got their tickets. Yeah. You know, people are already, I bought the tickets, yeah. whatever it is, I'm going for my birthday. I, I didn't even know what was coming out. I, I'm not a sci-fi guy. I mean, I watched them when I was younger, but were you, were you totally stoked about the trailer and what'd you think about, did you see it? Did I watch the trailer? Yeah. A few hundred times. And, and that's what some people... So, I mean, is it yeah. what... I, I just want to know what gravitates you to watch a trailer. Is it just because, one, you love it so much? Two, is it because you want to see how the technical things is? Three, the story? I mean, what gravitates... It's, it's a two-minute trailer to watch it so much. Um. Well, again, you're, you're talking about a river that runs so deep in, in mine as well as many people... Uh, of my generation and generations behind me, um, this is a touchstone of my youth. This is like the eight-year-old in me. This is Christmas morning on some level. So, so having a, a peek behind the curtain, uh, we've been waiting, you know, for a story that had Lucan and Leia in it for forty years. You know, less than that because Jedi came out in eighty-three. So, but we've been waiting a long time to to have the characters that we grew up with the actors that we grew up with back on the screen and and that feeling that old feeling and i and i I mean i I can only speak for myself but i I think i think for ourselves for uh, you know the older generation of star wars fans um this is important to us this is a touchstone this is the this is the you know national campfire that we gather around and we share our, our mythology and i think uh, there is no bigger IP. It just doesn't exist. There's no bigger IP than Star Wars. Um, I think JJ's doing it right. I think Disney's doing it right. I've, you know, I've personally been very fortunate because of uh, the work I've been doing on the video game because uh, I'm writing a Star Wars video game. And so I've been up to Skywalker Ranch and I've been up to Lucasfilm and I've spent time in the story group. So uh, in some way, my my imagination and efforts are going to affect the, the continuance of this story now what happens if you go and you're disappointed i mean is it one well, of those I think things we've been there before i mean no i guess the i didn't i didn't see the i heard the last ones weren't that good you I, know what I, I i think they just were so vastly different than the experience that we were expecting and the experience that we had had as as children they were just a completely different kind of movie and i think uh i think jj jj's one of us okay jj's you know a dude in his 40s who grew up with star wars and so the i think the things that are important about star wars to him 
I think he's going to do his damnedest to bring that to the screen. What'd you think of the Jar Jar Binks? A lot of people didn't like the Jar Jar Binks. I think I was not the target audience. Okay, no, because some people are like, <laughs> I have people go, what the hell is that? You know, it's like R2 and D2, they were cool. Like, because, you know, back then, you know, they were just R2, D2 and CP3, they were just cool. Like, they were, because I think also when you write, when you touch on a thing, we, we weren't used to seeing robots in that fashion in movies. We were used to seeing, like, I used to watch Ultraman. Sure. You know, and you sit there and Hayata, and, and when yeah. you look back, you're like, Oh my God, that cheesy yeah, button. Yeah, zipper suits. And this was, and you're right, it was so different. And like, you weren't used to seeing robots talking. No. And, and even though we know what the hell you're saying, no. but like, it was, it was, and I think it was also for our generation, because they were, they were sort of like a robotic Laurel and Hardy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think that touched exactly us because we grew up watching that. Yeah. And then when you bring it Jar Jar Banks, because I think people are, because I think when that movie came out, the parents were more excited than the kids. Yeah. And so it's crazy. Yeah. I, and, and Jar Jar was created for, young kids and so it just did not it did not um speak to me now how did you get involved writing this video game um the short version is i was cast as an actor in uh another video game called uncharted 4 that uh the woman who created that project uh was no longer with that project she she uh, uh an amazing woman named amy hennig she created the uncharted franchise and uh she was no longer with uncharted uh, she went on to work uh ea snatched her up really quick to helm this new uh, project at visceral this new star wars project and she invited me to come and write it with her now i had been at the time oh, i was doing uncharted for i had a uh, pilot that i was uh uh, in development at the sci-fi channel um and it was an outer space pilot and um uh, i was writing on that uh and i and i have a web comic that i write and uh, i've written screenplays and whatnot and she uh was just interested in my writing and we talked a lot about our influences growing up you know star wars and spielberg and all the things that us children of the 80s clung to uh and imprinted like ducklings about uh and so when it came time to when she was like you know thinking about the star wars project she uh for whatever reason thought that i would be a great addition to that team and uh i don't know about great uh no i'm i, I i'm being i'm be, i'm still you know humbled and flabbergasted and excited by the by the project so so amy chose to work with me and 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 uh she has been an amazing uh partner in this process and she's also the creative director of the game it must be amazing just because you know any as you think back when you were a kid you know you think maybe well maybe if they went this way on star wars like stories now you can actually sit there and you can pitch that and, i can yeah and, it's, and it's interesting to have yeah it's 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 uh it's daunting on one side because you're like wow this is again the the biggest ip in history and on the other side uh i've since eight years old i've been making up star wars stories so now to, to go oh this story that 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 we're working on is going to count uh it's pretty pretty thrilling so well, I'm gonna get back to your acting. You, know, you, you were acting a lot, and I know you were you were a, you were in the show Award Home. Oh, I did Ward Home. Yes, which was more of a, a drama, right? Half, no, no, I was half arson. Oh, was it Ward Home? Yeah, that was uh, that was um, Michael Rappaport. Okay, so yeah. now you're doing sitcoms. Yeah. You're doing sitcoms, and then you eventually get cast in The Riches. Yes. And now, at that time, when The Riches came out, if you were hip. You knew who Eddie Izzard was, yeah. mm-hmm. and if you were hip, you knew he was funny. Yep. And then he comes over, and I watched The Riches, and sure. I, I thought it was a really good show because I I love that. I've always loved like well, I love mafia movies, yeah. and I love I love like like the grifter movies, like sure. you know, this, this con artist yeah. movies, and just and for me, you know, I had seen shows about that uh, documentaries or one about the twenty twenty about, about that, travelers. Yeah, and they, yeah. they always end the movie travel with Bill Paxton, yeah. and it was just fascinating. So now, when you were, was that a long process to get in that in that uh, pilot? And- the exact opposite. Here's here's what had happened. Um, I had been cast in a half hour sitcom pilot called Community Service with Jay Moore. I was playing Jay Moore's best friend, and it was kind of a my name is Earl type show. Uh, and I was doing a half hour sitcom and uh, single camera and. We thought it was a go. We thought it was like, we thought this one, here it comes. And I'm like, 
okay, I'm going to be on NBC making funny. Um, that show did not get picked up. Uh, and that bummed me out because I loved it. You know, you know what's funny about that? And I, I know people who've been on shows, that same thing. Like you hear a pilot, like someone was on my show and the, and the pilot had like Harvey Corman and Cloris Leachman and this guy. And it's like, well, how does that not get picked up? Because there are two comedy legends who, I mean, especially we're talking about age. I mean, who didn't die with them guys on TV when you're younger? I mean, Carol Burnett with Tim, uh, Tim Comedy. I mean, so you think, and this was... 20 years, 15 years mm-hmm. ago, this year. you think sometimes, you know, it would get picked up. Jay Moore was, you know, the, yeah. the networks liked him. Yeah, Marion Ross was in our show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who, how can you get rid of Mrs. Cunningham? Yeah, I know, Mrs. C. Uh, you, there's a thousand reasons why shows don't get picked up. There's a thousand reasons. Like, it, there's, you know, everything from, uh, you know, I, I, I hazard to guess. It, sometimes they don't go. Look, I've done 19 television pilots. And only one of them had been picked up, and that was the richest. Right. So uh, it was crazy. So the so I had so that didn't go. We we thought it was going. We thought it was a lock. We were told we were going to be before Thirty Rock, um, it, and it didn't go. And so I was kind of like, okay, I felt I felt beat up, and as one does in this town. And then I uh, I was. They were replacing a role on this show. They had shot the pilot for The Riches, and they, they were decided to go a different way with one of the roles. And they asked me if I wanted to go in for it. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, So I went in. I walked into a room with like four people. I did my thing, and they said, that's great. The, the director's going to be here tomorrow. Can you just come back and just do that again? I said, sure. Boom. Picked up for 13. Like, like, and and to get the Jay Moore pilot, I had to audition five times. And the one in in the uh, in the riches was good. Is your your character is a very big part of the story because yeah. he's he's a he knows he feels what's going on. He's sort of I mean he's not I mean would you say he's a not a jerk but he's just he's uh, he's skeptical. A, he's he's a very bit skeptical. of a sociopath. I mean he certainly bludgeons a guy with a hammer. So what's that like to do that? I mean what's it like to sit there and be able to bludgeon someone with a? I mean what? I mean, uh, that all happened off screen, but. Uh, you know what? It's 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 a fascinating thing, and 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 I could go deep into the psychology of it all. In that, like, you know, we we still have canines, like in our mouth. We still have we 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 have a bloodlust, and I think that's why that's why football and boxing and video games and and action movies are so satisfying to us because they allow us to uh, explore that bloodlust without any real risk. Nobody's really dying. Nobody's right. really hurt. You walk away, you know, the gamers I know and the horror fans that I know that love really violent stuff tend to be some of the most gentle people in real life. And so, you know, for me to be able to play out these crazy, horrific, violent scenarios on screen, uh, it's all fantasy. And so it's really fun to to look at like you go back to Shakespeare and sword fights and and all of those classic stories Beowulf um, and and all these great violent storytelling I think they're metaphors and we're running from the fear of death and all of those psychological things uh, and it's cops and robbers you know it's it's me playing Han Solo with the blasters little boy it's all the same stuff uh, so it's a blast to play the bad guy now the riches people liked uh-huh and so what happened with that? I mean, is it all like, uh, that it was it too different or was it just, I mean, because it was one of those things, I hate, what I hate a lot of times is you get into a series you like and you're digging it and then it just disappears. Yeah. And then you're like, wait a second, wait, wait. And then you hear it's over. Like, like you don't hear it's over. And like, so what happened with this? Um, I think, well, there, it was kind of a perfect storm. There was, a, we hit a writer strike and during the writer strike, we lost our writers. So we hit a hiatus and a writer strike, and I think they had chosen, you know, it's 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 quite boring, but they chose to air us at a different time slot than they were originally going to. They were sort of seizing kind of an opportunity Then I don't think it played out the way they had planned, and we just didn't get, uh, they, I don't think they re-aired season one, so people who hadn't seen it couldn't get caught up. They would have had to have purchased a DVD because this was before Netflix. Right. So people could not binge this show. They would have had to purchase it on iTunes or go get a DVD. And so if you weren't caught up, I, I think those days 
were different, and we just didn't have the numbers to justify keeping it on the air. Now you also you were on an episode, two episodes, one of my favorite shows. You were on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh yes. Now, now, as as an improv guy, uh-huh. that must have been you know like a, a dream just because you know everyone who says when they go in the audition they don't know what to expect you right because it's Larry David and he's yeah. just like hey, yeah hey, you know so how did that come about were you were you pumped for that because you know you could really do your improving chops well you know it's interesting because is is I think the better way to put the process on curb is you're just writing your lines you're not improvising in the sense, in the purest sense of the term, where you walk out on stage and have no idea what's going to happen. They know where they want it to start and they know where they want it to land because they have to tell a story. They can't pitch to a network, here's 15 episodes of something that we have no idea what's going to happen. They have to pitch the story. They have to get the story cleared. So every episode is deeply, quote unquote, written because they know where they want the the characters to go so you're given the scenario of of you have to start here and you have to end here so basically you're just creating your own dialogue you know right and so so you know larry would be like yeah do that again that's good that's good so you do something and then you do it again and they sort of shape it in the moment and uh and so there's there's a lot of room for surprise reactions because you just don't know what the person's going to say next um, and you don't know what you're going to say next because you are improvising and you have to listen hard, but you also do know, well, we still have to steer the scene to this place. Um, it was exciting because I got to, you know, I got to do the Seinfeld reunion episodes. So that was pretty cool. Now, did you know Jeff Garland? I knew Jeff from Second okay. City. I figured yeah. all those Second City yeah. thing. So now you also did an episode of Supernatural. I did. And now... I okay. I didn't. I didn't watch Supernatural. I don't want to watch it. It's not. It's not my genre, really. Right. But I know people who have been on Supernatural. Uh-huh. That it's amazing. This guy. Do you know Lex Medlin? I don't. He played a uh, Cupid. He oh, was like okay. this chubby yeah, Cupid yeah, yeah, in an yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said he was getting his wife's like, who are all these messages from these women in France? <laughs> and crazy, Jim Beaver yeah. was on. Yep. And Jim, when he when he was after he was on this show, he posted the show was up. And honestly, in like 45 minutes, it had like on Twitter, it had like 275 likes. Crazy. It was just like, I'm looking going, this rose of such and such yeah. favored your tweet, favored your tweet. Yeah, I've never received more attention for one episode of something. I did one episode of Supernatural. Now, now to be fair, it was a different kind of episode for them. It was a black and white episode. It was done in the style of a universal horror film. And I played... Uh, I essentially played Bella Lugosi's Dracula in it, and um, and so I think because the show that episode stuck out like a sore thumb in terms of the kinds of shows that they do, it was a very departure. It was their Halloween episode, so they just tried to do something really fun and unique with it. Um, and the character was really well. It was I was chewing up scenery left and right because because just emulating all the gestures and then the vocal style of of Lugosi really did you did you really watch a lot of that before like how I kept studying it yeah I kept my laptop in my in my dressing room with the 30s episode uh, on DVD in it and I would watch it to try and uh, really get the cadence down and really get the hand gestures down and really try to understand what he was doing theatrically. to, so that I could nail it, but then there's a really lovely turn in the show where all the facade drops, and he's just this kind of wounded, sad little man. Uh, and I got to sort of I got to play both sides of this role, and uh, and it for whatever reason resonated with the fans, and I they've it it still comes up uh, seven years later. It's still people are still talking about that episode, and, and I'm very grateful because it's certainly, uh, you know, with the convention circuit and and doing and getting out there to meet the fans, it's certainly you feel the love, and people are so amazing, and that is a passionate, passionate fan base. What's it like doing the convention circuit? And now also, you know, you you're big on the convention circuit, yeah. But now also, because you're writing the Star Wars yeah. thing, you're gonna have. Not only are you going to have Supernatural, you're going to have Star Wars, you probably have people from Heroes, you probably have a bunch of different people that come. Yeah. Now, do you sit, I mean, what's it like? Because there are, they're very different fan bases. I mean, a Supernatural yeah. fan base well, is very- Well, they tend to cross over. But like, I mean, a, Supernatural fans are also some often the Originals fans. They're often, 
uh, Buffy fans. They're often Star Wars fans. There's there's a lot of cross genre. So what do you do? I mean, you must be loved because you're just probably just adored at these conventions. It must be a great time. You know, it's 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 very heartening. I, I'm a fanboy myself. Like, I mean, I'm a I'm a nerd right. through and through. <laughs> he showed me a Batman a Batman uh, tattoo, and then I have my Star Wars he's tattoo a, on yeah, this arm. So he's got he's got his he's he, and he's I'm, wearing I've he's shed wearing a, blood yeah. for my fandom. He's, <laughs> yeah, and I'm wearing my Batman. Yeah, he's he's my, he's got it all covered. He's uh, I'm I'm pathetic. Do you know Ralph Garman? I don't, but this name's familiar. He's on K Rock, but he's a big Batman fan. Okay. You should, you should, he's also he used to host a show called Joe Schmo. He does a uh, oh yeah 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 yeah. He does the thing with uh, Kevin Smith. Okay yeah yeah yeah. The, you you got to hook up with Batman. You, you got to hook up with him, man. I'm happy to. I'll talk a, all day long. He's he's a huge. He's a Philly guy. He's a huge huge Batman. Fun. Guy. Yeah, so it's a good time to be a nerd. I'll tell you that right now. Between Star Wars and Batman and Superman, and it's and great. That. Yeah, it's a great time. Uh, but back to your question about uh, the 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 fans at the you know I'm, I'm fortunate that uh the projects that i've been a part of uh have rabid fan bases i you know i never you know you don't know if somebody's actually a fan of your work itself or they're just a fan of the brand right. that you are connected to so so it's it's exciting uh i i i i have to take it all with a grain of salt um because it's like I said, people are very excited about Star Wars. I mean, look, I've I've been through it myself. I've I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and it was hard for me. I went to the premiere of uh, when Matt Smith first started his his run on it, and uh, I was at the after party, and I I, I couldn't go up to them. Like that's the Doctor, that's Amy. I could, I can't talk to them. They're, I just want to keep them right there, and just so it was very exciting. Um, but man, you find. What's really nice is it's is it's such common ground for people, and 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 in this world, you know, if I can get philosophical, it's nice to have something that brings people together, in healthy, fun, silly debate, as opposed to anger. You know, we're so divided as a country with with you know liberals and conservatives in in this world, and and all of this stuff. It's so nice to go someplace. You know, it's like, because we also go to Ren Fairs, my family and I, we're okay. big Ren Fair people. And so the way I put it is, you know, it's so nice to go to a place where the people working it are as excited to be there as the people attending it. Right. And so it is such a non-cynical event that uh, I go to Comic-Con and as a fan of all the same things to, to commune with the people who also love it too. and. I'm fortunate because my career allows me the opportunity to contribute, to make stuff that goes into that, to work on, like, like we just did a panel at New York Comic Con for 12 Monkeys. Um, and that is getting a nice following as well. And so you just like, I'm making something that I would like, that I would consume as a fan to work on the Star Wars game that I would play even if I wasn't working on it. Right. Now, anything ever has you ever been get like have you ever mobbed at any of these things where it's one of those things where you you know because it, and it's not a bad mob but sometimes people go you know it's like anything people are fanatical have you ever been something where you go oh my god there's there's a, there's a shitload of people here you know I, personally I I think I haven't had that one role or one job that garnered that kind of uh, froth you know it's 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 and they're not chasing after me. Like I worked on a show called The Originals. They're more excited about Joseph Morgan right. and Daniel Gillies. <laughs> and on Supernatural, they're more excited about. You know, I often become a window. So the questions are always, "What's it like to work with Jensen right. and Jared?" <laughs> like you know, I, I recognize that I'm not CW pretty, and and I'm not, and I'm not, you know, tw- 27 years old. So the the kind of fan. Uh, attention that I get is much more. Um, I, I'm one of you, right? Yeah. So it, I, I, I mean, I have been. We did have. Uh, we were trying to get into. You know, we were trying to get into the Hard Rock at, at Comic Con. There was a lot of people there, and so always amazes me when people walk up to you with pictures of you. Like, how did they, they know? I mean, it's a. They have a machine. Yeah, they have like like a third like a, a radar. Well, they also have a truck parked around the back with printers, right. and so. Uh, <laughs> So people walk up to you and want to have pictures with you and sign their pictures and stuff. And that's always really flattering. But I don't have that kind of, uh, 
you know, that Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man. I don't have that one role right. or performance yet that I've done that has garnered that kind of attention, and nor do I necessarily want it. You know, like, you don't want people going through your garbage and shooting you from a long-range lens. You know, you want to guard your, your, your life and your privacy. And so I think I have the best of both worlds. What's cool about your career, you know, is you sit there and, and you've, you know, you've done the supernatural and you did Heroes, which had that following, but then you turn around and you recur on Men of a Certain Age, yeah. which, which is just a, uh, I, I, I really dug that show. Just a dramedy, it's, yeah. It's just, it was a good stuff now. Now, was it good for you? Because when you, I mean, you jump around a lot. You're, you're a chameleon. Is yeah. it good for you when you sit there and you go, okay, you know what, I'm doing, I'm about, doing Bella Lugosi, I'm doing Heroes, but now I can hang out with dudes that are a little older than me, yeah. but we have something in common well, yeah. on screen and off screen because Ray's a very big family man and, you know. Yeah. And Bacula's Bacula. Yeah, and, you know. I've worked with Bacula also on uh, Enterprise. Okay. I did an episode of that back in the day. Um, yeah, I, I'm very, very... Uh, I mean, it, it makes for a much more circuitous road uh, because I have had my feet in both uh, drama, three feet, one in drama, one in genre drama, and one in comedy. And so... I'm fortunate that uh, I can always, there's always some kind of job I can get because uh, I'm able to cross into all these different worlds. That being said, in terms of um, your career, it just makes it much more slower and more winding uh, as opposed to going, I'm just going to be comedy boy. You know, Stephen Colbert locked down and went Zoom. I'm just going to do comedy and that's my thing. And th that pays a different kind of dividend. Um, I'm, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade my career for the world. I I'm I've been able to travel and meet amazing people and tell all different kinds of stories and do half hour multi camera sitcoms and do I did a western with you and McGregor where I played a very bad man from Ireland in it uh, called Jane Got a Gun. So I I, I get to kind of do it all. I don't have to I don't have to change people's minds and convince them. I don't have to talk them into anything other than I often will play the creep. Right. So I think the harder sell for me is he's playing the warm father. Right. You know, like that, that, that might be a, a harder thing to convince people of. But at the same time, I did do a very warm film called To Be Friends with Joel Carter from Justified. Um, just the two of us. And it's just a very, you know, independent film, think piece, beautiful little, felt like a foreign film. So I've been allowed to kind of do it all. What was it like working Justified? Because that's just, that's like a cool cast. Like everyone, like you sit there and you go, I mean, Oliphant just seems like, I mean, ever since the girl next door when he played the uh, the the guy who was, you know, just the the sleazy guy, yeah. you just go, and I didn't really know who he was when he got that role. And yeah. I was just like, and I heard Jay Moore was actually for that role. Oh, really? And I just, you watch it and you go, this guy's just cool. Yeah. I mean, what's it like? I well, mean, you had such like, a great cast. It's like, I said, it's like meeting Bill Clinton. Like there's something like, you know, it's so funny because I, I, I said to my wife, I'm like, you know, I, I met Oliphant and I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to sit down. Like, <laughs> he, he gives me the vapors. Like, he's such a gentleman. He's just like a cool cowboy and he's just as good as they get. And then I got to work with Jeremy Davies, who is just incredible uh, character actor. And, it, you know, I did four episodes of that show and I had, I got hit by a car twice on that show. So, uh and it was funny, and it was cool, and uh, just a great world to be a part of, and great stories to tell. Now you've also done some voice work. You did some Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb. Now, how did that come about? Because I'm, I'm listening to you. You, you have a really good voice. I mean, you have one of those. You know, it's a nice voice. I mean, you're like one of those people. Like, if you like, were narrating. Uh, one of those sports documentaries. I would listen. Or if you're reading <laughs> the a, agony of defeat. Yeah, you have yeah. it. Or if you're reading a book on tape. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Plus, because yeah. you do impressions, which you should look into, because that probably be great, because you do different voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so how how that come about? Because it's so strange. Uh, speaking of surfing, I had done a table read for a screenplay in a backyard in Studio City, and the guy had uh, the, the 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 writer had really set up a, a really nice table read and and catered it, and uh, I believe Allison Brie was at that same table read and and the next day i'm out at venice beach surfing and swampy marsh who is one of the creators of phineas and ferb came up to me he was like hey i saw your reading uh i was at that reading yesterday in studio city i said oh hey great nice meeting you and so we're literally sitting on surfboards out in the water he's like do you do voiceover i do phineas and ferb do you want to come and do that I said, sure. So I told him who my agency was, and lo and behold, 
That's it. Uh, did you enjoy doing the voiceovers? Love it. So much fun. Now, are you pursuing that at all? Or? Well, pursuing. I mean, if 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 the auditions come up, uh, you know, it's I I bow down to the guys that do that as a career. Nolan North, John DiMaggio, like those guys. That I, I, that's like saying. I think I'm gonna try stand up. Do you know what I mean? Like that is a career. That is a pursuit. That is a that is a noble, noble pursuit. And uh, I dabble at best. Uh, if the jobs present themselves, I'm excited to do them. But um, to say that I'm pursuing it, uh, I got a pretty full plate. What now? Being a Batman fan, yeah. Okay, what was it like being on Gotham? <sighs> I mean, because that's you know. Oh. I mean, what was that like for you? I mean, it's, bucket it's like, list. It's bucket like, list. It's like you're you've had like all your sci-fi stuff. It's really you've hit the jackpot. The Star Wars. And did 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 they know you were a big Batman fan when you went in for that? Or I don't did think they... they did? I don't think they did. You know, Bruno Heller, who created the show, I had worked with him on The Mentalist, and so he was familiar with my work. And I had gone in for the uh, for the role of Maroni. Um, David Zayas got that role. Um, but uh, I went in, and then a few weeks later, they said, hey, they have another part that they want you to play. And I was like, this is this is awesome. So there was a couple pinch-me moments where it was like, at one point, we were shooting in Harlem on location, and it was night, and they had all the lights set up, and I'm in this decrepit office space, and I'm like, I'm in Gotham City. I'm in Gotham City. Like, that was awesome. Like, no one can ever take that away from me. I'm in Gotham City. And then when I went back to shoot another episode for season two, I'm like, I'm in Arkham Asylum. I'm in Arkham As- I'm an inmate at Arkham Asylum. This is amazing. So I get to, I, there, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, there's just days that I don't, that, that, that I'm constantly elbowing that, you know, the 10 year old in me going, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Look what we're doing. That's see, That must be, I mean, yeah, as I was saying, must be a great thing. Cause it, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I've got to be on Vulcan, the planet Vulcan. I've been on Vulcan. Like that's crazy <laughs> to me. I've bled green blood. Now, now you said you just got back from shooting 12 monkeys. Still am. Okay, I'm still so- shooting 12 monkeys. I just came home cause, uh, cause uh, it was my birthday and I had a, I, I had some time off and I hadn't seen my kids in a bit and my wife in a bit. And so I'm like, Oh, I got 10 days. I'm coming back to LA. I will go back on Sunday to shoot out the rest of the season. Now what's your role on it? Oh, that's a great part. Uh, it's again, one of those, one of those moments where you go, Oh, wow. I, I found a part that kind of lets me hit a lot of the notes of, of what I love to do. And the character's name is Deacon. Okay. And he is the head of uh, a group of scavengers called the West seven, kind of a notorious gang like pirates. Basically we plunder and I, you know, I have like 200 strong, an army of 200 strong people that I'm keeping alive. And he's this charismatic, you know, as, uh, and then in season two, they kind of shifted my role a little bit because I was just a guest star in season one and they turned them into a season, uh, season two regular. And so as Terry Metalis, uh, the creator of the show, he said, I think in season two, uh, he co-created the show with, uh, with, uh, another guy, Travis. And he, um, he says the character is a, um, a sociopathic Han Solo. So you're going whoa, <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to my wheelhouse. So now, is is it just a fun series to shoot? It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And the stories are just like, I get every script and it's like, I, I, I can never clock where it's going. No pun intended. Clock. Time travel show. See what exactly. Now, now, uh, when did, when will its season actually air? Premieres in April. And that's on, is that on Sci-Fi? Sci-Fi Channel. And now this is the second season? So season two will premiere in April, yeah. Okay. Now, were you in the first season? I did four episodes of season one. And are you glad? I mean, did, how did they tell you you were coming back? Well, Terry uh, had sat down with me when I was shooting the season finale last year, and he's like, oh, I got all these ideas for Deacon uh, for season two. And I was like, I, oh, uh, well, I just, well, I, I so I'm in season two, <laughs> you know? He's like, yeah, I got a lot of great ideas. And then he basically contacted casting, and uh, because pilot season would have been between then and now, and so there, you know, there could have been a chance that I could have got snagged up and put on another show. And so, I was very fortunate that uh, Sci-Fi Channel took me off the market and made me a series regular for season two. See, that's perfect. Love it. 
So now, now, do you also produce stuff? I know you do teach still. I know. I have taught a lot. I had an improv school that I had started with some people in the valley called the Hot House. That's no longer up and running. Um, and then I, um, when I can, I substitute uh, teach when I'm in town at uh, Leslie Kahn, amazing acting studio in in uh, in L.A. Uh, and I coach people, um, produce stuff. I, I created a web comic called Devil Inside and uh, with my collaborator, Dennis Calero. He's a, an amazing uh, comic book artist and, and he writes. And he uh, he asked, you know, he was drawing the Heroes webcomic when I was on Heroes and he said, we met because I thought it was pretty cool that he uh, drew me into a comic because I'm a comic book nerd. And he said, hey, do you, do you write when we met? And I said, yeah, I have this idea about the devil having a crisis of conscience and quitting. And he said, oh, let's do it as a webcomic. So... 2010 we started doing it once a week as a webcomic and uh i think ultimately the goal would be that's what led to the outer space pilot that we did with sci-fi channel because we had we had it optioned for a bit and then we sold the the science fiction pilot uh dennis and i to the sci-fi channel that we developed with them uh ultimately i think what i want to do is is make uh devil inside a live action web series so i would be a producer and an actor and a writer on that now can people find the 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 comic yeah yep toddstashwick.com which is a very good website people if you go to his website i was checking it out it's not like, bad I, right? that's good because you know it's good what i always love is i love when because when i when i put the stuff off my podcast mm -hmm. like i post it i always like when i don't have to write the own bio uh-huh you know because it's always like you sit there and then like guys like you you know you, you have had so many credits and you and you put numerous movies or his including tv yeah. but this is great and yeah people go there i mean it's uh you have interviews you have videos you, you did everything now yeah. did you develop it or did you have someone uh, i had uh oddly my my cousin actually designed the website and then it, my 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 friend Lou Zaccaro, uh, he hosted the website and he helped build the interface and everything. So yeah, I did it. We did it kind of from the ground up. And uh, that's where, you know, I can post when I'm on a show or have an interview or, uh, and that's where web, uh, Devil Inside is hosted, the, the comic. And you can start it from the very beginning. There's a little banner that says, read it from the beginning right at the front. Or you can click to the, the latest episode. It's just one page a week. That's good though. That's now, now, great. now do you tweet? All the time. Okay, and it's, at Todd Stashwick. You got it. See, yeah. no one took it. That's no. good. You, you're lucky. I know. Now, what do you, how, what do you like, what do you tweet about? Oh, what do I tweet fun about? Fun stuff? I, you know, I try, I do everything. You try to be pithy. <laughs> you try to, but, uh, you know, I do all, all the same things that other people do. Hey, this video I saw is awesome. Or, uh, here's a joke, a play on words. Or here's, uh, hey, my show is, or I'll live, live tweet an episode of 12 Monkeys. Um, I, you know, it's just, keeping your hands during that pot and keeping connections to the audience, to the shows that you're working on. And, and, uh, it's, I love it. I love it. I love it. Do you Instagram? I do. And what is that? The same thing? Todd I think that's at T Stashwick. My Instagram is T Stashwick. And what do you put up there? Like cool pictures? From I pictures. What did I, I, I just got a, a Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, sideshow collectible that went in my star Wars case. I got it yesterday. So I put up a picture of that, but people see me posting a lot of, a lot of nerd stuff. That's good. Well, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks for having I'm, me. I'm glad we got this in between before you go back, and I'm yeah. glad you had a good birthday, and it's oh, good it's that great. You, know, you get to hang out, and yeah. you know, maybe a little more surfing coming up. Hope so. Because the weather's it's been, been a while. This weather's just been nuts. I know. It doesn't change. So, so people, go go to ToddStashwick.com. Go check him out, please. Also, go to his Twitter. He tweets a lot. And go to Instagram. It's TStashwick. If it isn't, just type in Todd Stashwick. You'll find him. And you'll find him. Yeah. And people, follow me on Twitter. I'm, I'm the president. He's, yeah, you're on you, and you're very active, which is good. Yeah. So follow him and go to IMDb, check out his work. And you know, I think the riches is on, uh, it's uh, on Netflix. Netflix. So yeah. go watch it. And it's 12 a, Monkeys, you can watch season one already. You can watch it on demand or iTunes. So watch this stuff, people, because it's good stuff. And they're both two different, two different genres, but he's good at both of them. So you got to check it out. Okay. And so that's what you do. Also, you follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have. God, like 430 episodes up. I'm always posting. I'm a little behind from last week's. I have like three episodes I have to post in the next few days. Uh, also, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in one word, one word, Cooper Talk, and you'll find me there. If you have a Google Android device, 
go to the Play Store, type in Cooper Talk. You get my app. It's all free stuff. And that's what you got to do. And don't forget my other website, StopTheSalt.com. As you know, I had a heart problem a few years ago. I had to change my diet. And I quit smoking, which you guys should all quit. It's not good for you. But I sat there and uh, I wrote 120 recipes. Easy to make. Just go through the cookbook. No pictures. You won't be intimidated. No list of ingredients you don't have. If you don't have cumin at home, don't worry. You don't need cumin. These ingredients are easy ingredients. Cooking for one. You can't beat it. 120 of them. Go to StopTheSalt.com. You can get it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble, but if you go to StopTheSalt.com, I make more money, and I'll even sign it for you. And it's all about me making money because, you know, else I don't want to be poor and living in a box because I don't eat crappy again, and I'll have to become homeless and have a bad health. <laughs> anyway, people, thanks for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.